The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. We'd like to continue considering the kingdom of heaven and make our way to the parable of the sower, but before we make our way directly to the parable of the sower, I'd like to go to Philippians chapter 3 and in verse 20. And certainly in light of the shooting this week in Uvalde where 22 people in that school were slain on what seemed to be a regular day and we see all of the wickedness around us and we see, unfortunately, the, the movement of Satan, I, I feel, in our country. We've been trying to consider spiritual warfare on the radio. And if you haven't been listening to those, I would encourage you to get caught up on that because it is relevant. Because Satan is a murderer from the beginning. He's the father of lies, but he wants to, he seeks to steal and to kill and to destroy and... Satan is behind so many of these events that we see in the world around us. And when we see that, it should make us so thankful. It should make us so thankful that we are only pilgrims and strangers in this wicked and fallen world. As it says here in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, For our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that word conversation literally means citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. And as we see America in the state that it's in, and I, I want to put my hand over my heart and, and swear allegiance to the red, white, and blue, but our primary allegiance is to the kingdom of heaven. And that's one of the most important things I want us to understand as we continue to go through this, this consideration of the kingdom of heaven, it is our responsibility and our calling to seek the kingdom of heaven first and foremost in our life. And as we see the, continue, the continued disintegration of the fabric of America that many people grew up with 30, 40, 50 years ago, we need to understand that our primary citizenship, our primary allegiance, and our primary responsibility is to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and our primary citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. Because the more that we see the collapse of morality in government and in culture, the more antagonistic the world that hated Jesus, and Jesus told us the world's going to hate us, the more antagonistic they get toward us, we need to understand that our primary citizenship is in heaven. The sufferings of this world, they are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Isn't it good to know that this is the worst it will ever be for the child of God? Amen? Mm -hmm. Isn't that good to know that this is the worst it will ever be? And there will come a time in America where we will have to obey God rather than men, okay? 
And we need to understand that our citizenship is in heaven. You know, it's no surprise, it shouldn't be to us, that when we get to the point in America, particularly with these school shootings, I remember um, the Columbine shooting in 1999. I remember um, there are a few th- images in my mind that are, that are just so vivid and ingrained in there. Uh, 9-11, I remember coming home and watching those buildings burning, 9-11, watching that at home. And I, one of the moments that are ingrained in my mind along with 9-11 is the Columbine shooting. And I remember coming home and watching that that evening. But there may have been some other shootings before then. Um, that was 1999, so what would that be? Um, 23 years ago now, but it shouldn't be surprising to us that when you have this movement, the secular humanistic movement that wants to remove God from school, we don't want to have prayer in school, we don't want to have Bible classes in school, and then, surprise, surprise, you want to remove God from school, and then what's happening? What happens when we say we don't want God in school? There weren't school shootings in the 60s, you know that? (laughs) There wasn't school shootings back then. But then when we say, we don't want God in school, what happens? God says, okay. Now, God suffered it to happen. I'm not saying he caused it, but he suffered it to happen. And we will be judged to reap what we have sown, is what I'm saying. And not us, but when the overall culture says, we don't want God in school, what happens when we say, we don't want God in school? Now, all of a sudden, we have all these school shootings, you see? This wickedness that's around us And it should make us long for home. (laughs) We are pilgrims and strangers. And that's what uh, Abraham and Sarah said there in in Hebrews chapter 11. We are pilgrims and strangers and they long for a better country, a heavenly country. And praise God that we have the hope of that. But I want to make sure that we, as we continue through this, keep the mindset that our citizenship, our primary identity, and our conversation, that word conversation means the totality of our life and certainly our speech, our conversation should reflect that, but our citizenship and the totality of our life is primarily rooted in heaven. And that is why we need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We'd like, <clears throat> we'd like to go to Matthew chapter 13 and consider the parable of the sower, or more appropriately, the parable of the soils. And this morning, we would like to try to focus on the wayside. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 2. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. And some fell upon stony places, where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them, and others fell into good ground, and some brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who that <clears throat> excuse me, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. You have to have ears 
to hear. And this is one of the parables that Jesus was so kind and gracious to actually explain to us. In verse 18, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and casteth and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. And then he goes on to explain the rest of the other three grounds that we will make our way to in coming weeks, Lord willing, and we'll stop right there to focus on the on the wayside this morning. So <clears throat> he first of all says, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and he says that the wicked one, Satan, catcheth away that which is sown in his heart. Now, we need to put this in the appropriate context. We need to obviously not be afraid that Satan can come and remove the effects of the new birth, right? He, he can't take that regenerated heart out of God. We also, out of the child of God, we see there that the word, not only did they hear it, they heard the word, but the word was sown in their heart. That means it had a residing place in their heart. Now, is there a residing place in the heart of a wicked person that has a stony heart? Well, no, there's nothing inside their heart for it to be sown in, right? It's, it's wickedness. We see uh, the, the contrast between the hearts uh, of God's people and then the unregenerate in the book of Acts. We find on the day of Pentecost that there were some people that were pricked in the heart. They, the word was sown in their heart, right? It touched their heart. Why? Because they had a heart of flesh. They had a tender heart that could be touched. But then there were some other people that when they heard the preaching of the gospel, they were cut to the heart. It, it, it injured their flesh. It didn't feel very good. But then when it got down to their heart, what did it hit? It hit a stone, right? It hit, it hit a hard and stony heart. So the only way that the word can be sown in the heart is if the heart is a heart of flesh, right? If it, if it can be tendered. So this does not mean when it says that, that Satan deceives these children of God that he removes the effect of the new birth. No, but there's a big difference between, as we hope to understand, there's a big difference between the reality of eternal salvation that we have in Jesus Christ and then the effect of that in our heart, our belief of that and our confidence and our assurance of that in our heart. And Satan doesn't want any child of God walking around with confidence and assurance. He wants them in bondage, right? He wants them in fear and, and feeling like. And isn't it just so sad that there is such a, a tone in Christianity today that tries to do nothing but scare God's children that if you mess up, God's going to cast you into hell. That is not the message of the gospel, it's not the message of God. That's the message of Satan. Satan wants God's children walking around all the time thinking like if I have one step over one arbitrary line, if I get one toe over there, I'm going to mess up and God's not going to love me anymore. He's going to cast me into hell. That is another gospel that, that Satan is using to put God's people in bondage, okay? So when the true gospel, salvation by grace alone, comes into their ears and it touches their heart, Satan does not want it to stay there. So he galvanizes all of his forces to confuse this child of God. I want you to understand, they hear the word. The only person that can hear the word is a person that has been born again by the Spirit of God. They have spiritual ears. But what is the problem with the wayside? What is the problem with the wayside hearer? 
Jesus makes it very clear in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 13. What's the problem? They hear the word. They have a born-again, regenerated heart. What's the problem? They hear the word of the kingdom, and they understandeth it not. They don't understand it. It doesn't make sense yet. And before everything clicks, before they believe it, and before they confess it, and before they're baptized in the Lord's church, they don't understand it yet. And before they do, Satan comes in, and he attacks them, and he deceives them, and then they get confused. Now, we also need to make sure we understand, as we consider this parable of the sower, this is describing an individual response to the gospel for children of God in a moment of time, okay? Someone is not condemned to the wayside their entire life, okay? This is describing them in a moment in time. And there are many children of God that have the testimony that there was a time when they heard the gospel, but they didn't understand it. They didn't, ex they didn't accept it right away. They didn't believe it right away. And then there came a later time where they did hear it and they did believe it. And unfortunately, some of them have the testimony of, this, of the stony ground. They shot up real quick. They get excited. But then there's tribulation that comes for the word's sake, and then they fade away a little bit more than they should. And then hopefully God blesses them to repent, right? And then they go into the thorny ground. They go into the good ground. But then once you're in the, in the good ground, many people recede back to the thorny ground as the cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches choke out the fruitfulness. So understand, a child of God in their, the totality of their lifetime of discipleship, at different points in their life, they could receive the gospel in different ways. Okay, This is describing the general disposition of the ways of which many of God's children will receive the gospel. But what it's not saying about the wayside, this is only describing their response to the gospel. These wayside, born-again children of God are not out living reprobate lives. They're not out killing people. They're not out robbing banks. They're not out uh, selling drugs. They're not living a, a ungodly life. No, what's their problem? They don't understand the gospel. That's their problem. They don't understand the gospel. In Luke chapter 8, <clears throat> in this account of the parable of the sower from Luke chapter 8, we talked last week <clears throat> about the parable of the sower as it says in Mark, that know you not this parable, how then will you understand all parables? In other words, you really need to get the right context and the right understanding of the, the parable of the soils. Otherwise, you're going to misunderstand a lot of other parables. And we try to describe that as a key to the kingdom. And one of the most important keys to the kingdom is understanding that there is a salvation and deliverance in the gospel that has no bearing on heaven or hell or eternal life. And we see this here in Luke chapter 8, describing the wayside. Luke chapter 8 and in verse 12. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their heart, lest they should believe and be saved. And many people in Christianity would say, see, there you go, preacher. They were right on the verge of eternal life. They were offered eternal life. God loves everybody, and it's up to you to make a choice. They were right on the verge of eternal life. 
But before they could get eternal life, Satan came in and he deceived them. And unfortunately, they didn't believe, they didn't get saved, and now they're going to hell. I'm thankful the Bible doesn't teach that. But how scary would it be to give Satan that much credit to really say <laughs> that Satan wants this person in heaven? Uh, excuse me, that God wants this person in heaven. He, he's preaching the gospel to them and, and his desire, he loves them, right? God loves everybody and he wants them in heaven. He wants them to accept him. He wants them to believe and then who comes in and prevents God from having this person he wants in heaven? Who, who comes in and prevents them from going to heaven? Satan. You're telling me that Satan, Jesus says in John's gospel, no man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. That's saying that Satan can come in there, open up the fingers of Almighty God, and, and take a child of God out of the hand of the Father. God forbid. I don't want that gospel on a stick. I don't want anything to do with, with, a, with a message of the gospel that says God wants to save you. You're right on the verge. I mean, you're, you're one step away. You're one confession away. You're one prayer away from going to heaven. And Satan comes in and says, no, I'm not going to let you bully. I'm going to deceive you. And Satan prevented God from having one of his children in heaven. God forbid. Amen. God forbid. That's not what this is talking about. But, but when you don't understand that there is a salvation and deliverance in the gospel, well, you're going to give Satan way too much credit. And we need to be aware. We need to be sober. We need to be vigilant because he wants to devour us, but he cannot touch our eternal life. And you know, Satan knows that better than anybody. We talked about that, that on the radio. Satan knows the word of God better than any of us do. Satan knows the word of God better than any preacher. I'll let that sink in for a minute. <laughs> Satan knows the word of God better than any preacher. And he's, de he's deceptive. He can transform himself into an angel of light. And he knows the word of God so well that he knows how to manipulate it. He knows how to change it. And how terrible would it be to think that God wants someone in heaven. He wants them saved. And they're right on the edge of it. And then Satan goes in there and deceives them and recruits them to hell, if you will. And he's going to... Uh, that, that's giving Satan more power than God, okay? But you need to understand, though, that there is a power and there is a deliverance and there is a salvation that God's children have in the gospel and in the kingdom of heaven when they understand. You see, that was the problem with the wayside, right? Their problem wasn't their heart. <laughs> Their problem wasn't that they had a stony heart. Their problem was they didn't understand. What does the gospel do? It gives you understanding, right? It gives you, gives you knowledge. Okay, let's put a pin in that for right now. Uh, they hear the word. I want us to briefly consider those that don't hear the word. Okay, we talked about the, the four uh, soils, but by implication, there would be a fifth group. All four of those hear the word. So by implication, there's a group that don't hear the word, okay? And I, I want to make sure that we understand that apart 
from the regenerating power of God in the new birth, man has no ability to understand the gospel, to truly believe the gospel, or to understand spiritual things. Okay? Let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And this verse is one of the prime examples, as we said on the radio this morning, that you need to be reading the King James Version of the Bible. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, what the authentic autographs given to us in English of the Texas Receptus says is for the preaching of the cross, this is them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. In just about every other translation, you know what it says? Unto them which are being saved. Again, what did Satan do in the garden? He added one word that changed the meaning. Boy, there's a big difference between past sensed, ED, are saved, and then those that are, that are in the process of being saved. God's children are not in the process of being saved. They were saved. It is finished on the cross, right, by Jesus Christ. And then that salvation is applied in their heart in the new birth. But then go to verse 21. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. We are not born again by the gospel. We are not born again by the gospel. Unto us which are saved, the gospel is the power of God. It says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. The deliverance and the peace that God's children have in their heart when they hear and believe the gospel, it is God's intention. It was God's ordained means by what man would seem to be foolish by the foolishness of preaching, to save them that believe. Since we're right here in 1 Corinthians, let's go to chapter 2 and verse 14. I don't think I've put this on our memory verse list, but I would encourage you to add it to your own personal one because you need to know this one. For the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, what does that mean? That means that obviously, if you're going to hear what the Spirit says, that's what it says in uh, Revelation 2 and 3, where it's talking about writing to the churches. He doesn't just say, let he that had ears to hear. He says, those that have ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Say it to the churches. So what's the only way you're going to understand what the Spirit has to say? you got to have the Spirit, right? I mean, I mean, if you're a natural man, you can't understand the Spirit. So therefore, that's why all four of these, these soils, all four of these grounds are children of God. Why? Because they hear the Word. Who's the Word of God written to? 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 70. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? And it's what's, what's the first thing it's profitable for? For doctrine, which is teaching, what's the problem with the wayside? They don't have knowledge. They don't understand. What, is the, what does the word do for you? It gives you teaching so you can understand it. But who's the word given to? Verse 17, that the man of God would be thoroughly furnished. The gospel's not given to the world. The, the, the scriptures are not given to the world. This is not a book that is given to every inhabitant of earth. 
The scriptures are given to the spiritual man. They're given to God's people that have the spirit, okay? In John chapter 8, Jesus was condemning some whited sepulchers, Pharisees and scribes, and he says in verse 43 of John 8, why do you not understand my speech? You know, are you just being, are you being stubborn? You know, these people that are um, whited sepulchers that Jesus tells them, goes on to tell them in verse 44, you're of your father, the devil. Many people would say, well, you know, God loves them too. God loves everybody. God loves them too. And the problem is not that they have no ability to believe. It, I mean, God offers salvation to them just like he does everybody else. So is God offering salvation? They just need to hear it, believe it, accept it. What did Jesus say? What's the reason why you don't understand my speech? Why do you not understand? What's the reason? Why did Jesus say is the reason why they don't understand what he had to say? Even because you cannot hear my word. Why, can they, why could they not hear the word? Verse 44, for year of your father the devil. These were unregenerates. They, were, they only had the natural man, right? They had no ability to hear the word. John chapter 10, I told you, verse 25, talking to a very similar group, I told you and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. You believe not. Why? Because you're stubborn? What, what's the reason why? They reject Jesus. What's the reason why these people believe not? You believe not because you are not of my sheep. Okay? You're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So you have to have a spiritually regenerated heart to have the ability to understand the Word of God when it's preached because the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. They can't, okay? So if someone hears the word, that means they have ears to hear. These are born-again children of God. But what is the problem? What's the problem with these wayside children of God? The problem is they don't understand what they heard. You know, think about the eunuch and Philip in Acts chapter 8. He had a zeal of God. You know, that, that was the problem with the people there in uh, Romans chapter 10, right? They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They don't know what they need to know, right? They don't under, they're trying to put their confidence in the law. They're trying to put their confidence in works instead of their confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Well, this eunuch had a lot of zeal. But he's reading Isaiah 53, and it doesn't make any sense to him. And then the Spirit of God directs Philip to go there in the middle of the desert, and he starts running up beside the side of a chariot. And then he asks the eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? He's reading there about the suffering. That's, see, that's why the Jews had so many problems accepting Jesus. They wanted uh, King Saul, who was head and shoulders above everybody else, this great, good-looking, broad-shoulders, military guy riding, on, riding in on a white horse. What did they get? A carpenter from Nazareth riding in on a donkey. <laughs> That's not what they were looking for, right? So they had a hard time accepting it. Now, the Jews had a hard time accepting that. But this eunuch, he didn't know any different. He had a really hard time understanding uh, Isaiah 53, where he talked about 
uh, the Messiah suffering the way that he did. So uh, Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, how can I except some man should guide me? I can't understand this by myself. I will say, we talked about time salvation, gospel salvation, deliverance and peace that we have in the gospel, uh, about how that's such a key to the kingdom. I will say there are very few people, very few people that have arrived at a correct, rightly dividing of that on their own. There's some people that, that they, uh, they clearly see the contradiction and they say, this just doesn't fit. But there are very few people that on their own have really understood that distinction until there's some preacher that says, this is the context of John 3.16, right? This is the right context of that. So what I'm saying is God's children on their own, that's why God called people to preach. On their own, they're not going to figure this stuff out on their own a lot of times, right? So what did God do? God was so gracious. Ephesians chapter 4, he gave gifts unto men, didn't he? He gave evangelists. He gave pastor teachers to teach God's people so they would understand, so they would know, okay? <clears throat> Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. Actually, it'd be hard to jump in right there. Let's start in verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for those that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and a peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. We don't need to be praying that necessarily that the Republicans win the House, or that the Republicans when the presidency. I mean, I, we need to vote conservative. We need to vote, vote biblical values. But we have been in such a bubble in America that we just don't really understand the normal disposition of the government to the church. Okay, The normal disposition of government to the church is persecution. That's the normal disposition of the government toward the true church. So therefore... You need to pray for your kings so that they will leave you alone. Just, just let us worship in spirit and truth. Let us live a quiet and a peaceable life. Don't try to be throwing us in jail all the time. Let us just serve God humbly, faithfully, quietly, live a quiet and peaceable life. And if, you, if we're blessed with that environment, we also won't have the restrictions that of government persecution to prevent us from spreading the gospel. So he says, pray for kings that you can live a quiet and peaceable life for this is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, the thought is continuing, who will have all men to be saved, in what context? To come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, does God desire every single inhabitant of the earth to choose to believe on him, and he's offering eternal life. If you choose to believe, he desires all men on the face of the earth to be saved, and it's up to you to confess, repent, believe, baptize, etc. And if you do that, God is going to uh, stamp your ticket to go to heaven. 
No, as it is the case in many places in Scripture. It's not all men without exception. It's all men without distinction, right? Jew or Greek, bond or free, male nor female, but all one in Christ. God does not, his, his purpose and his desire is not to try to recruit goats to accept him, okay? His desire is that his sheep would know more about the shepherd, right? His desire is for his children to come to a knowledge of the truth. And what does, God, what does the gospel do? It gives us knowledge, you see. It's, and, and we know this in our natural life. We do. That knowledge changes our life. I mean, knowledge saves and delivers us from so many different things. I was thinking about uh, loved ones that I've had that have had surgery, particularly my mom, when she had that benign, uh, ended up being benign, we didn't know until the surgery day, uh, tumor in her abdomen, and we went into that surgery not knowing if it was going to be benign or if it was going to be malignant. Praise God it was benign. But understand, the, the biological, medical certainty, it was, it was already sitting benign in her body, right? But we didn't know that. We didn't know that. And then we're there, you know, a couple hours surgery, and you know, nervous and anxious and fearful. You know, we all hope for the best, but you never know, right? And we, we sat there in anxiety and, and worry and probably a little bit of fear, too, because we didn't know what was a reality. But how did we know what the reality was? The doctor came and said, it's benign, right? There was a declaration that told us the reality. You know, think about um, just a normal court proceeding. The, a, of a jury trial. The jury goes in, they deliberate, they decide among themselves that they're guilty or not guilty. Let's say someone's acquitted, okay? And they fill out all the paperwork. The paperwork is legally filed a couple hours beforehand. They notify all the parties and say, hey, we come, hey, come back in, we have the verdict. And what happens in that verdict? When, they, when, they, when, the, when the foreman of that jury announces that they've been acquitted, is that when they were acquitted? No, it's when the jury filed the paperwork, right? But how does the person who was on trial know about it? There is a declaration. And I want you to look at the, the time period between you know, the medical certainty and then the legal certainty uh, between those two events and then when you know about it. Boy, there's a lot of anxiety and concern and fear in the middle of that, isn't there? I mean, you, you ever see some of those people that are going to be acquitted but boy, they don't have a lot of peace during that minute or two when the verdict is being read aloud, do they? <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> but what would happen? They, they would be delivered from all of that fear and anxiety if they knew the legal reality. See, knowledge is exactly uh, like the Lord told us in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 10. The gospel brings life and immortality to light, right? We have eternal salvation by grace alone in verse 9, 2 Timothy 1, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. We're saved by grace alone, but now is made manifest. How do you know that you've been saved by grace unless somebody tells you, right? 
That's the, that, that's the whole premise of uh, Romans chapter 10. How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they believe unless they've heard, right? And God, for a period of time, saw fit to conceal. He gave hints in a lot of prophecies, but he saw fit to conceal the fullness of the gospel in the Old Testament, didn't he? He concealed it. But now what happened? It's now been made manifest. What was the reality all the way from the covenant of grace? That there was no possibility that any of God's children were ever going to end up in hell since the Trinity agreed to save them from before the world ever. But there was no possibility of any of God's children being lost from before this world even began. Okay? There came a time where Jesus came and he actually died for our sins. But the certainty of that salvation was not in, in flux during the Old Testament when nobody knew about it. You understand that? There was a period of time where the Old Testament prophets, they didn't understand this. But what does the gospel do? It makes manifest what's been the reality all along. It brings life and immortality to light which is the purpose of the gospel. We're not born again by the gospel. It gives us knowledge. It gives us understanding. It gives us light. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge, right? Save to the knowledge of the truth. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. So if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And then it says that Satan has blinded the minds. Now, Satan does not have an advanced copy on the Lamb's Book of Life. Okay? He doesn't. That's sealed. Satan is very perceptive. He examines people's actions and he doesn't know, I don't believe. Think about Saul. When, when Saul was doing all of these things to persecute the church, and Satan was using Saul to persecute the church, I don't think that Satan knew at that time that he was a born-again child of God that was going to be regenerated on the road to Damascus. So Satan, he just, uh, he just evaluates the actions of, of uh, people here in this world and those that are doing anything godly he tries to afflict, okay? Now, why would Satan, if someone is an unregenerate person, no fear of God before their eyes, hands that run to shed innocent blood, all of the, the depths of depravity that is exhibited in the unregenerate, <clears throat> if Satan sees someone doing nothing but wickedness, do you think that Satan is going to take his time to try to blind someone who is giving all the evidences of being dead in trespasses and in sin. Satan's efficient, <laughs> okay? Satan's not wasting his time blinding the unregenerate. Who's he blinding? The lost sheep 
of the house of Israel. You know, the, the word lost right there. Uh, there there's, such, there's this desire in Christianity to go save the lost. Hey, I believe we need to save the lost. But we've got to put lost in the right context, right? Uh, the idea is that they're, they're lost to hell and you've got to save them to heaven. The idea that something is lost gives an indication that there's a place that it's supposed to be and it's not there, right? Think about all the examples, particularly Luke chapter 15, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and then we commonly call that parable the prodigal son, but really it's the lost son. And actually, it's technically the lost sons, plural. <laughs> that elder brother was just as lost as the prodigal. He just never left home. So lost sheep, lost coins, Jesus said when he sent the apostles out, and he said later on in his ministry, you know, <laughs> you think Jesus wanted to get, uh, Jesus, and I say this with all the reverence in the world, Jesus would have been wasting his time here on earth if he wanted to save the whole world when he said, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why would the Son of God, if his desire, he loves the whole world and he wants the whole world to go to heaven, why did the Son of God say, there's some people that I'm not going to preach to during my ministry? That doesn't make any sense, does it? Who did Jesus say I'm preaching to? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. If our gospel be hid, it's not hid to the unregenerate. It's hid to the lost children. And why are these children of God, why, are, why have they strayed away from the fold? Why are they not where they ought to be? Why are they not close to the shepherd? Why are they not in the church? Why? Because Satan has blinded their minds. They're confused, you see. They don't understand the word. And it says, the God of this world hath blinded the minds which believe not. Now understand, the general disposition of children of God is to hear and believe the gospel, and the general disposition of the non-elect is to reject the gospel, okay? That's the general disposition. But just because at a moment of time someone doesn't believe the gospel does not automatically make them non-elect, okay? So in this context, they don't believe. They believe not. But it says, lest the gospel would come unto them, the light of the gospel would come unto them, and it goes on further in verse 6, that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. These are people that have the ability to believe. Just like those wayside people, right? Lest they should believe and be saved. That means that those wayside people, they heard the word, they had the ability to believe, but they got distracted and they got confused. These are children of God that have the ability to believe, right? But what's the problem? Satan has blinded their minds. Satan has confused them, okay? Let's go to <clears throat> Acts chapter 26. And Jesus is, uh, not Jesus, Paul is recounting um, his regeneration experience and then some uh, later admonitions from Ananias and then from Jesus Christ. If you have a red letter Bible, this is in red letters. This is what Jesus said to him directly. So this was this was the ministry and the calling and the commission of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 26 and um, beginning in verse 17. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles whom I now send. Now notice, this right here is a great, succinct description of the purpose of the gospel. What's the purpose of the gospel? To open their eyes. What's the problem? Satan had blinded them, right? to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light. It doesn't say to, to change them 
from hell to heaven. It doesn't say from changing them from death to life, does it? What's the problem? What does the gospel do? It brings life and immortality to light. What's the problem? They don't have light. So what am I, what am I trying to turn them to? From, the, from darkness to light. I'm preaching the gospel to them so now they can understand and have illumination in their life. And from the power of Satan unto God. And that word power means influence. You see, these, these people are being influenced by Satan. They're blinded. And I want to get them out. You know, the, the, it describes the, uh, the, the gospel of a work salvation, which is another gospel, which is preaching another Jesus. But, but he says that that is a yoke of bondage that he told the Galatians, you've, you've relished in grace why would you come back and say, I want to entangle myself again with that yoke of bond? It didn't make any sense. Why you felt the liberty of grace and then you want to do away with that liberty and say, let me pick up this yoke and put it back on my neck. That didn't make any sense. But God's children are walking around with a yoke around their neck. And what does the gospel do? It allows them, it says, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Come and take my yoke upon. What you do then is you take that yoke off of you and you give it to Christ, right? And then his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Okay, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. This doesn't say that their sins are going to be forgiven before God. What does it say? I mean, the, the language is so simple here, okay? God's, God's word, it can be challenging, but it's so plain and so simple that they may receive. It doesn't say that, that their sins are going to be forgiven in heaven. What does it say? That they may receive the forgiveness of sins. They didn't feel. You know, I think about Paul a lot. When he was born again on the road to Damascus, and then he had the flood of consenting to the death of Stephen and, and, and all of these wickedness that he did against the church, and he sat for three days with being blinded and had nothing to eat, and don't you know that on the third day when Ananias showed up and said, you're a chosen vessel, don't you know that, that he, uh, he, he was forgiven eternally, right? But Paul did not feel forgiven during those three days of conviction, did he? But now all of a sudden, that forgiveness is applied to my heart, you see? That, 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 the, the reality of legal redemption and, and legal forgiveness before God, now all of a sudden when I have the gospel, I can forgive myself through the blood of Christ. You see, uh, uh, God has already forgiven us through the blood of Christ in, in a heavenly sense, but there are many of God's children they can't forgive themselves of their sins. Because many times they've been told that you've got to do something. Well, as long as you're being told you've got to do something, you're probably not going to forgive yourself for it. But what does the gospel say? Now you can forgive yourself because you can trust in the blood of Jesus just like God trusts in the blood of Jesus, okay? So that they may receive the forgiveness of sins. And not that they would go to heaven, but that they would receive an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. In other words, I want the children of God to receive the fullness of the earnest of the inheritance that they have in the kingdom of heaven that is rightfully yours. Where does all this come from? Opening their eyes, turning them from darkness to light, from the influence of Satan unto God, that they can receive in their heart the forgiveness of sins and now partake of the inheritance. Where does it all come from? It comes from the preaching of the gospel. It comes from the word of God 
That is the power of God unto salvation to God's children. And that amazing, powerful deliverance that God's children have. Okay, so um, these people by the wayside, they don't have the knowledge that they need. And a lack of knowledge is just simply ignorance. You know, ignorant has a very bad connotation in our society, but there's a lot of things I'm ignorant about. Um, I'm ignorant about nuclear physics, you know? That's what they hire nuclear physicists for, you know? I mean, I don't need to know that, right? Um, there's a lot of things that I'm ignorant about. And there's a lot of God's children, they're born again. They have a desire. They have a zeal of God. But just like those... Uh, natural Jews there in Romans chapter 10, they have a zeal of God, but they just don't have a zeal of God according to knowledge, okay? Again, what's the problem with the wayside people? They don't understand. They don't understand the gospel. And I want to highlight as quickly as we can some instances where we see just unevangelized, born-again children of God that just don't know any better until the gospel comes to them to know what to do. We see Cornelius here in Acts chapter 10, and you would just have to rest the plain teaching of Scripture to try to make Cornelius anything other than a born-again child of God before Peter shows up. I mean, if Cornelius isn't born again in verses 1 to 4, then that's going to make us all doubt our eternal salvation. All right? Because Cornelius is a devout man, one that feared God with all of his house, gave much alms to the people, and prayed to God always. Verse 4, God says, Thy prayer and thy alms are come up for a memorial before God. He gives that vision to Peter, and he says, What well, I have cleansed, past tense, these Gentiles are cleansed. They're saved. So don't call them common or unclean. And then Peter shows up and he sees the manifestation of the Holy Spirit and he says, of a truth, I believe. Um, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons in every nation. He that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So this Cornelius is a man. You see, every child of God will know God in the sense of the new birth. Hebrews chapter 8 makes that very clear. They shall all know me from the least to the greatest. Every child of God will have an Abba Father knowledge. And every child of God will display the fruit of the Spirit. Every child of God will show an agape, self-sacrificial love. They're going to be people that, that cause, uh, that, that, that um, diffuse situations. And they promote peace instead of Instead of anger and hatred, they're going to be the happiest people that you ever know. And, they're going to, and they are going to display some degree of faith in God. But all of those fruit of the Spirit, they look a whole lot different in unevangelized third world countries than they do in the Bible Belt, right? Every child of God will have faith in God. But that faith in God looks a lot different when they're in ignorance. I mean, you couldn't find a better man, a better moral man than Cornelius. But he didn't know the name of Jesus. He didn't know that he needed to confess him and be baptized. He didn't know that. Why didn't he know? Nobody told him yet. He hadn't heard the gospel yet. But Cornelius 
As a born-again man in ignorance, what does he do when Peter shows up? Verse 25, what does he do when Peter shows up? Cornelius falls down at his feet and he worships Peter. You see that? He loves God. And he is, and he he does not know the name of Jesus, but he is offering sacrifices to God. He doesn't know the name of Jesus, and he is so ignorant in his unevangelized state that what does he do when the preacher shows up? He falls down and worships the preacher. And Peter said, No, 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 get up now. <laughs> Don't worship me. I want to tell you about the one that you're supposed to worship. In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul is preaching in Athens. And he says in verse 23, as I passed by and beheld, uh, actually verse 22, Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill. You men of Athens, I perceive that you are too superstitious. Too superstitious. For I passed by and beheld your devotions, and I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him I declare unto you. Um, skip to verse 30. The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. These were born-again children of God in Athens. They had, it says in Psalm 19, that the heavens declare the glory of God. There is no language, there is no place, there is no country where God does not preach his sovereignty by creation. And you will not be able to find a single this, uh, extinct civilization. God has a people out of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue, and it includes these extinct civilizations. You cannot find one singular extinct civilization that did not have some form of religion and worship. Every one of them. Why? Because there were born-again children of God in there that when they saw the heavens, they knew there was something bigger than them. They desired, and, what did, and by the way, man in his ignorance, what does he do? He worships the sun, right? They see, they see the heavens that declare the glory of God. So what do I do? I make a temple to the sun. I make a temple to the moon. I'm very thankful that I planted my crops and the crops came up. So what do I do? I'm going to make a God of the harvest. You see, that's what man in his ignorance does. You understand that those were children of God. We're called to worship God in spirit and in truth. And there is a, there is a sliding scale of spirit and truth on both sides, right? <laughs> Turn the Baptist, bless our heart. We got the truth, but we don't have near as much spirit as we ought to have. We don't have near as much zeal as we have. There's some people who got all the spirit in the world, but bless their heart, they just don't have any truth. I, you know, I, I think you can make a strong case that uh, Cornelius right there, boy, he had about as much spirit as anybody, didn't he? And he was worshiping in spirit with everything that he had, but bless his heart, he didn't have, he didn't have any truth. He, he, he bowed down and worshiped Peter. Why? Because he didn't know. He didn't have any truth. And, and those children of God there in those, those unevangelized uh, countries that are, that are dead and gone, they, they said, man, I planted this crop and, got, and, and some being other than me blessed me with this crop and I want to thank him for doing that. And they had the right spirit to a degree when they went and they offered, which, isn't that interesting that that is what God commanded his people to do in the Old Testament, the first fruit offerings, right? That's what people did in these old civilizations, what did they do? They gave the first of their crop. What, what compelled them to do that? The Spirit of God inside of them. You see? That's what it says in uh, 
in Romans chapter 2, when it's talking about the Gentiles, verse 14, the Gentiles, which have not the law, they don't have the gospel. They don't know the name of Jesus. The Gentiles do not know the name of Jesus. They don't have the word of God. They don't have the scriptures. But they do by nature the things contained in the law, and these, having not the law, they are a law unto themselves. Now, how do they know to do that? You know, why is it that these people in all these other countries, in all these other times, in all these other civilizations, why were they offering first fruit offerings to God? Why that? Why they do that? They didn't know that was going to be later in the Mosaic Law. Why did they do that? They didn't know anything about the Ten Commandments. They didn't know anything about that. Why did they do that? Which show the work of the law written in their heart and their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or excusing one another. So here we see here in Acts chapter 17 the exact same scenario. You have these child, children of God and you have this pantheon of gods and those children of God, they're not really happy. They may be forced to do it by the government, but they're not really happy putting, uh, putting a... a uh, Offering on the sun god to Zeus. What do they gravitate to? What, what altar do these children of God gravitate to? To the unknown God. And it says here they're worshiping it. Whom therefore you ignorantly worship. They're worshiping God. But they just don't know God's name. Right? <laughs> they don't know the name of Jesus. And I think we see this here in the Thessalonian church too. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, very similar to the people in Athens. It says that the gospel came unto them. The gospel came unto the church at Thessalonica. The gospel came unto you, not in word only, but in power. It's the power of God unto salvation and assurance and the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. But notice in verse 9, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the true and the living God. Now, were they born again when Paul showed up? It's possible. I mean, I guess it's possible that he was born, that they were born again when Paul showed up. But what's more likely? They were just like these people in Athens that were ignorantly worshiping the unknown God because they didn't know any better. They didn't know any better. But what happened when they heard it? It touched their heart. The gospel came unto them in power and in much assurance. And these born-again children of God that were living in ignorance, which, by the way, Acts chapter 18, Paul's preaching in Corinth. Paul, uh, God encourages him. I have much people in this city. That means God already had a people in Corinth. What do you think that those born-again children of God were most likely doing in Corinth? They were worshiping some idol. You see? They were, because they didn't know any better. Because they didn't know any better. But the power of the gospel came unto those in Thessalonica, and they heard it, and they believed it, and they said, now that we know the real God, we're putting away all these idols. We're, we're, we're doing away with all this stuff. You know, think about, I think it may have been Ephesus, where those people in witchcraft, they came and they burned books that were worth like 50,000 pieces of silver or something. They said, now that we know the truth, we're getting rid of this witchcraft stuff. You see? They got rid of that. Now, the problem with the wayside, again, is that they don't understand the word. They don't understand. And Satan desires 
to come in and influence them and deceive them and corrupt them. And I'll tell you, it's just, it's so dangerous that Satan is so crafty and he's so wily. He says, I think it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where he says, don't be deceived uh, as, as the serpent beguiled Eve that you would be corrupted from the simplicity of the gospel. That there were false apostles who were preaching another Jesus and another gospel. And he says, what is the root cause behind that another Jesus and another gospel? It's Satan. It's Satan. You know, Satan, he uses Islam, no doubt. I mean, Islam, he's the father of murder. Their, their ideology says we kill people who don't agree with us. Satan's in charge for the most part of Islam, okay? But there are children of God that don't know any better that Satan doesn't only use pagan religions is what I'm saying. It's said right there that Satan transformed himself in in an angel of life and the gospel that those false apostles were preaching were not denying Jesus. What were they doing? They were presenting another Jesus. They were presenting another gospel. So Satan is not always opposed to, I mean, the, the devils have better theology than some supposed Christians. The devil, the devils know there's one God. The devils believe and tremble. Okay? And the devil, they know that Jesus is the Son of God. And Satan doesn't always work. He's, he's done that in the past. But he doesn't always work and, and try to get God's people to reject that Jesus is even the Son of God. No, he's okay using Jesus. I'm just going to present another Jesus. And I think we'll see this with the stony ground too. I really want us to understand how susceptible God's children, especially the lost sheep, especially those early converts of the stony ground, how susceptible they are to Satan. And that's why when we see someone that joins the church, that is... That is not the destination. That is the first step of a lifelong journey. And we need to understand that Satan is going to be coming at them hard. He's already coming at them hard to prevent them from even making that first step. That's the wayside people. That's the children of God that he's trying to prevent from hearing and believing the gospel. But we need to understand how susceptible God's children are to the temptations of Satan in this ignorant, lack of knowledge, lack of understanding state. And it's up to us that have the knowledge to strengthen them. Okay? So their roots can be stronger so they can withstand that that temptation that hopefully will bless them to be good, fruitful, good ground in the service of God. So we need to be aware of that, need to be vigilant, and I, I believe this goes right in line with what we've been trying to consider on the radio and spiritual warfare and the temptations of Satan. We need to know what his tactics are. We need to know what he's trying to do. And he is trying to quench the gospel, the spread of the gospel, at every turn. And we need 
to do our duty to resist the devil, flee from that he will flee from us, and do our duty to encourage and strengthen these these wayward children of God. I mean, the easy question. We'll dig it. We'll dig into this later. But the easy answer is to say, you know what? Those are all just false professors. I don't have to worry about them. That's the that's the shortcut, lazy, easy answer. The hard answer is no. These are born born again children of God. Children of God that are struggling. And they need the church. They need the gospel. And they need the church. And it's our responsibility to bring them, bring them that gospel so they can understand what Christ has done for them and they can press into the kingdom. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.